Hello and welcome to Cold Pizza. My name is Rusty. I'm a pastor here at Christ the Lord Church in Dayton, Ohio. This is our weekly podcast where we take the opportunity to squeeze out every last bit we can from the proclamation of God's Word on Sundays. It's our chance to sit down with a preacher and tackle any further questions, applications, or other bits of leftover crust to chew on that didn't make it into the main meal. So, grab a slice and join us this week with Pastor Matt. Hey guys, what's up? Pastor Matt was back up this past Sunday, kind of pulling uh, the next string, I guess, from the cliffhanger that I left two weeks ago. It was titled, The Conscience and Prozac, or any other cocktail of your choice. I assume you mean both, you know, drug cocktail or alcohol cocktail. All of the above. All the cocktails. Uh, from Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. So, primary this week was really... Uh, not just to give the full answer to the problems that I had addressed the previous week, uh, but really to help expose more of that conscience issue yeah. that we were tackling. Yeah, like what's that, um, what's the, what, how do those problems like play out practically? I mean, I think that's where verse 14 lands. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a fantastic uh, opportunity to, to stretch <laughs> some of that unease uh, appropriately. Because these barriers are, are very real things. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of where you took us at first, was the three barriers to getting to God or drawing near to God. So really, uh, whereas I was saying uh, you can't, you were saying here's why, here's, yeah. the, here's, the, here's the reasons. Yeah. Um, then moving into the problem of the conscience. Uh, but then helping us see how this is starting to transition, particularly because there was a, a giant butt there and there's more to come. Uh, we have the power of Christ's blood deals with our conscience. And then ultimately the joy of serving the living God. Yeah, I think this those four points really um, uh, show kind of my heartbeat in, in the way I just think about the Christian life in general. And that is, um, here's the problem, so here's the barriers. Uh, and then let's kind of take that down to a little bit of a deeper level. Here's the conscience. And I think where a lot of preachers would just say, all right, so you have a troubled conscience. It's dirty. Hey, Jesus cleanses that and cleans it. So you're good. Now go serve God, mm-hmm. which is technically true and, and technically even f- faithful to the passage. But like, how do those like things actually interact? Like, how do you, how does the blood of Christ cleansed the conscience in such a way that it leads to serving the living God with joy. There's actually like mechanics behind that yeah. that get it. You don't just put gasoline in a car, strike a key, and you go. Mm-hmm. There's actually mechanics behind that. There's there's lots of moving parts that are working in tandem together. Yeah. And so uh, what would a conscience plagued by death how would that affect serving a living God, Mm -hmm. right? He's juxtaposing those things. And so he wants us to know how does, so now you have a purified conscience that is um, running pair or or leads to, sorry, let me back up a purified conscience that leads to uh, lively serving a living God Mm -hmm. versus a dead conscience that uh, does not lead to serving, lively serving a living God. Yeah. And how does the mechanics of that work? And so I really just, 
I, I try to work through those, now, those that's mechanics. A, that's a summer. great analogy too, because part of what you were talking about was like that low grade fever because yeah. they hadn't properly confessed or applied either the work of Christ. So if, from a mechanical standpoint, like you would say with the low grade fever, like there are people who just live in that for their whole life. Yeah. And you can see the effect that it has on their actual physical body. Yeah. Of how, you know, they age prematurely. They're always freaking out. It's because they have a burdened conscience. Yeah. Uh, the same thing is true for the car, right? If you have bad internal mechanisms, yeah. you, you can sell on the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, my, uh, um, if you put poor gasoline in there, mm -hmm. like the car might run, but it's going to do damage to the inside of your car. Yeah. So, or like oil, <laughs> you, mm -hmm. if you just don't ever change the oil, it's going to run for a while, but it's going to run sluggish. It's going to mm -hmm. run bad. It's going to uh, lose gas mileage, you know, those things. It's, it's, um, and I just, when I, when I look out on the sea of faces of, of, on Sunday mornings in our church, I see a lot of people. A lot of check engine lights. <laughs> with a lot of check engine lights on. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I got to do that and, on Wednesday. <laughs> and I, and I, yeah, yeah. I, I and I, I hate that. I I want our people to to learn how to really serve with joy. Mm -hmm. And where does that that come from? It comes from a conscience that's not plagued. Yeah. And the, and the people that I see, and, and here's my hot take, right? Is the people that I see that are grumpy in their serving, or complain, or they come to us complaining about things, like. Honestly, my first thought is not, oh no, what do we need to do? My mm -hmm. first thought is, what's plaguing your conscience? Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's usually what's happening. Something's plaguing your conscience, and you're just taking it out on me. Mm -hmm. um, and if you'll let me help you, then we can get to that. Now, that doesn't mean I maybe I need to fix something. Maybe I need to grow, you know, whatever, and, that, and that's fine. But, but nine times out of ten, that's not really what's going on. Yeah. It's just... It's just the cocktail of your choice has become taking it out on somebody else mm -hmm. because that somehow makes you feel better about what's plaguing your conscience. So, but that's, and that's what, um, you know, Jesus, uh, check the log in your own eye, mm -hmm. right? So that you can go help remove the speck from your brothers. Um, what, what's happening is, is you've got your eyes fixed on the speck, whatever's out there, so that you can ignore the log in your own eye and somehow makes you feel better and... Yeah. So, yeah. So you end up projecting. You end up projecting. Yeah. yeah, you end up putting things that aren't really there, or you blow them out of proportion because your so, eyes are skewed. So you have spiritual sickness, and so everyone else must have spiritual sickness. Yeah, yeah. So when I look out on that sea of faces, like oh, what I what I genuinely want uh, is is people that are joyfully serving. It doesn't mean that they're never going to have moments of weakness or struggle and sin, but but that. That they just live in that kind of freedom, mm -hmm. and um, but then I also realized that you know, like my McDonald's Whopper comment, that that there, there's also some people who just don't care, and those people are on my mind every Sunday, particularly of recent. Like, like I, I just, at least from what I can discern, I'm like, I just don't know if you care. Yeah, I could tell you right now that Jesus is standing outside. And you'd probably, there, there are some people that would probably say, all right, hang on, let me check Facebook first real quick. <laughs> and and that, that, just, that just breaks my heart. Um, 
and it, it also irritates me. <laughs> like, appropriately. Appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like this, yeah. It's sickening that, that you could see the celestial city mm-hmm. and say, you know what, I'd rather go back to uh, City yeah, of Destruction, sure. right? City, yeah. Well, even there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, these are your options. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. I just want our people to serve with joy. With joy, and I think I think there's a uh, a smaller number, um, but there uh, than the most than like majority. I threw out ten percent um, of people that are in that category, mm-hmm. and I can think of a handful of names right off the top of my head that I think genuinely serve with the joy that comes from a f- uh, a purified conscience. Yeah, premium gasoline, baby, and they're awesome. And I, I want that group to grow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I pulled this punch at the end of my sermon. It's something I cut on the fly, um, and that was let me let me read it here real quick. It'll show you where my heart was. So I finished that Spurgeon quote: "Let our religion be as warm and constant and natural as the flow of the blood in our veins. A living God must be served in a living way." Mm-hmm. And I ended my sermon right there. Well, on my notes, the next line is. And if you are not consistently walking joyfully, serving the Lord with liveliness and great vigor, you don't need the cocktail of your choice. You just need to listen to this sermon again. Mm-hmm. That was that was my. <laughs> yeah, you don't need a drink. You need some meat. There you go. <laughs> I, I cut that because I in that moment it just seemed like Spurgeon landed the plane, so I landed the plane. Well, I think Spurgeon landed the plane for those who have ears to hear. Let them hear. Yeah, and yeah. that's who Jesus ended up talking to. Yep. Even if you proclaim it to everybody. Well, that's great because for me, listening to the sermon, I think what stood out the most, and I brought it up in the communion thing, was the aspect of training. Uh, but it's not just training to the point of what uh, where you kind of landed. Backing up towards the front end of your introduction of that, you're using this essentially to say, what are the barriers to joy? And you listed those three barriers and and that leads into this ultimately joy and and through that it's the aspect of training the conscience um i think when we think of so i brought up the idea of in communion of you know training is difficult because i i don't you i don't remember you saying much along the lines of like it's hard you're just saying it needs to happen. The, it, I was it, saying it in a way that implied it's hard. You did because you were like, make it so. So I mean, there's I there's, was, a, there's a fight in there. I was pleading. Yeah. I mean, the way I presented it with like my rhetoric and my tone and my body language was saying like this is hard work. Yeah. So I just wanted to be explicit <laughs> that it takes regular difficulty, and that's how growth comes. Uh, and on the flip side, it's also not that hard. Here's the cup every week. Like yeah. train and remember, but in the training piece, um, I think that will, what will help us, particularly as we think about our mission of knowing, loving, and obeying. If you ask the average person where training lands on those three things, I think they're going to understandably say on the obey, right? Because training is obedience. Mm-hmm. But I think for the Christian, a missing component is those affections, that loving aspect. In that, we typically just kind of rail against it and say, don't listen to your emotions. Your emotions are not the training. It's it's more than that when it comes to how do we develop that middle of those three things. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, training actually becomes, for the Christian, part of love. Like you have to love the training. Mm-hmm. And, and pushing into that, have a, have a desire to continue to train. So f- 
for me, like, I don't always want to go to the gym. It's hard. It sucks. It often hurts. Um, but I love the process. And that lets me not just do the last part, obey and grow, right? But it lets me do the middle part, which then feeds more into the joy aspect. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I wanted to kick it to you is like when you think about how training affects joy, how does make it so then lead more to joy? Yeah, I, I think if you if you consider the idea of discipline, where the Lord um, is said to when he enacts discipline on us, uh, that it's an act of love. Well, discipline and training are, are very similar concepts. Yeah, we just usually confuse discipline for consequence, for uh, not consequences. Punishment. Punishment, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, but discipline and training, like there's, uh, and loving, like the, those things all go together. And I think we tend to think of uh, discipline and pain or like anything that's painful is bad. Is bad. Yeah. It's bad. It's, uh, this is adverse to what I want. This is, you know, we, we just want to isolate all of ourselves from that. But that's why we need to embrace the suck. T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's like, so training. Uh, or sorry, discipline and training comes from love. Like you train your kids if you love them, and mm-hmm. and so you should love the training and hate them if you don't. Let's not forget that part. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, uh, I said that in the parenting class this past Sunday. I mean, no, I said none of us would, none of us would look at our spouse and say, "Hey, let's destroy our kids." <laughs> but that's exactly what we do when we don't discipline them. Some do. Some go to court and but, say, "Let me destroy my child." Yeah, but, that's right. But yes. But, well, this what we say we we don't we don't say uh, let me let me destroy my kids, uh, but we then proceed to not discipline like we should. Well, the same thing is true for ourselves. We we tend to say uh, we like none of us would say, well, let me destroy myself, mm-hmm. but then we go on to not train, mm-hmm. or we don't in this point don't train our conscience. Yeah, so. When we do that, we're functionally saying, let me go destroy myself today. Mm-hmm. And then we do that day after day after day, week after week, year after year, and so on. So you, like, it's, we're not, I'm not saying, like, you have to love the, like, painful uh, parts of that discipline or the painful parts of that uh, training, but, but but you have to love the, the process, yeah. like, that that's that's when and and doing that is going to produce better actual like full obedience. Yes, the end of that process. Yeah. Well, well, because practically, what's going to happen? You you do the things you love. You lay up the treasures mm-hmm. with the things that you love and for what you want. Yeah. And so, if you love the training, you will do more of the training. Which mm-hmm. was the which was the the picture that I was trying to paint was, um. The conscience that then is trained to remember that it's been purified mm-hmm. will become your best friend. Yeah, amen. Like, you get to walk with that con- I mean, you're stuck with it regardless. <laughs> yeah. So you can either be lazy and just let it wreak havoc, or you can be proactive and suppress it and make something else yeah. a good friend, or 
you can do what we should be doing mm-hmm. and taking captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Yeah. That includes your conscience. Making it so. And make it so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I wanted to bring it up because I, I feel like this we don't realize how much it speaks to the love aspect of no love obey. Yeah. And we just hope that love happens like it is manifests because of something. Yeah. And, and that's not the case. Yeah. You you should you should love uh that that process mm-hmm. um and if you want help getting to loving the process start with loving the outcome true yeah yeah <laughs> for real start with loving the fact that you could have a, an internal good friend well and i mean that yeah the outcome is ultimately the gospel and that's part of where i wanted to drive into on this is like how how do i do the training what's the training look like and, and this is just man this is dna like this is what we learn here and it's it sounds like what would Jesus do, but it's not. Okay, so you've you've heard us say this before. This gospel practice is is essentially the nuts and bolts is this: I treated God this way. How did He treat me? I can go and do likewise, mm-hmm. right? So whether that's my sin against God or my sin against another person, or or especially, I think this is the hard harder one emotionally when other people sin against me. We can say, you know what? I did the same thing to God. How did He treat me? Mm-hmm. I can go and do likewise. So this goes to uh, them being mean to you, to forgetting about you, for people not being considerate, to lying, to being a rebellious, uh, to being unfaithful. So you'd be like, well, I've never slept around on my spouse. Well, you did with God. So you know what? <laughs> You're guilty there. Yeah. So we we have literally done the book against God. He's said that, right? Mm-hmm. And so how did he how did he respond to his to his bride? Well, we can go and do the same thing because of the gospel. To just say, what would Jesus do? Um, well, that will have you flipping tables when you shouldn't be flipping tables um, and not driving people out with a whip when you should be driving people out with mm-hmm. a whip. Because yes. you forget the whole, what did we do aspect, which is part of all of those contexts of what Jesus does. So this looks like, I like to bring it down to kids because I think we need to think of ourselves as kids more often, just like the author of Hebrews did a few chapters ago. And that when my kids are dumb, well, I need to remember that I also do dumb. <laughs> and God shapes and builds and corrects and loves and guides and, and in his case, ultimately obeys for me, mm-hmm. right? Besides that part, I can do all those things for my kid. Yeah. And I think to the point of your parenting class, like the earlier we do that in the process of their diso- of their dumb, like yeah. the easier it actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the last thing that um, that I uh, this was uh, this fits like the cutting room floor. This is something that that uh, once again was actually in my scripts, and I, you know, sometimes I cut things ahead, and sometimes I cut things on the fly. Mm-hmm. I rarely cut things on the fly. That it's just, pretty hard to do. <laughs> yeah, because you're counting mm-hmm. on those things for transitions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and this one it was more of a. I realized in the moment that I didn't have enough setup for it mm. and I wasn't going to be able to, I, it was going to take too much getting off the runway yeah, and getting off the ground when you were already in the air and getting back onto the ground. Oh. Then I had time to land the whole thing. <laughs> like I just hadn't, I, in my script, I just had it. I didn't have enough setup. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 honestly, it just a little bit of like behind the scenes scoop. I kind of felt that way, um, in the morning time when I was uh, reading through my script. Mm. So the, the part that I that I I I left off um, that I cut in the moment was this idea that there's really uh, two options here when it comes to this purified conscience that serves the living God. So you, you, on one side, you have, again, a purified conscience that lively serves the living God. Mm-hmm. Or you have, uh, which is like this new heart, right? Mm-hmm. This new alive heart. Or the, the only other option is you have flesh, that serves death mm-hmm. like a beast. Mm. Th- those are the options. Yep. And I don't think when we as as Christians, uh, particularly if we've grown up in the church uh, to some measure and we've had a relatively uh, uh, morally good life, like we don't realize it that that's what we were or and that's what we could be without God's saving grace right now. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> then we also don't realize that that's what our neighbor is. Mm-hmm. That that's what our boss is, our coworkers. That that they are beasts serving their flesh from death and unto death. Mhm. Paul, uh, I'm sorry, well, maybe it was Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews is is giving us those two options right here in this passage. Sure. And um, so uh, rather than being the men and women made in the image of God to serve the living God, they died in the garden. Mm-hmm. And then every human being subsequent has has been born in death with them. And so this image is is marred and broken and dead. And so they're they're like a beast. I mean, when you when you think about that, you think about like a bear, or um, a uh, a wolf, or maybe a little less aggressive. You think of one of my chickens or mm-hmm. one of my cows. And what do they do? All they live for is serving their flesh. Mm-hmm. They they get up. They go eat, they protect themselves, they sleep, they get up and do the same thing again the next day. And if you're not alive in Christ, then that's what you are. That's yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, you now, become now, like what you worship. Yes. Now, now here's the, the danger, though, is that for those who are in Christ can still walk enslaved to the flesh. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the ways we do that is by not training our conscience. Mm-hmm. So our conscience slips in and out of, am I purified or am I not? Am I purified or am I not? Mm-hmm. Is it cleansed or is it not cleansed? And when, when we're living as though it's not been cleansed, then we're going to live according to the flesh, we're going to sow according to the flesh, and we're going to reap according to the flesh, which, newsflash, that's death. Yeah. Funny story. Paul, uh, who did write Romans, talks about this in Romans. Uh, in chapter 122, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man 
and birds and animals and creeping things. There you go. There you go. And so God gave them up in their lusts to that. To the so flesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you become like what you worship. So I, I've, I'm kind of on a bit of this subversive mission, so maybe now it's not so subversive now that I'm saying it, but but getting people to realize, like, what's at stake. Oh, yeah. Like, we just, just what what's at stake. It's not just... Um, having a fine, you know, good little Christian life or having a not so good, but fine little Christian life. The, the options are, um, Christ or chaos, (laughs) Christ or chaos. And every moment that you don't live submitted to Christ, the only other option is chaos. Mm -hmm. It's either he's Lord and you live as though he's Lord or you rebel and don't live as though he's Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously we want our people to live as though he's Lord and yes. to enjoy Christ and and to live uh, and serve the living God because he deserves it, mm-hmm. but also because we're commanded to enjoy him. Yeah. And, how, and one of the ways we enjoy him is by training the conscience mm-hmm. and by living as though we actually believe what he said is true and that the conscience has been cleansed mm-hmm. absolutely by the blood of Jesus he spilt every drop of blood necessary mm-hmm. to cleanse every stain that existed mm-hmm. on that conscience yeah so there's a lot of freedom in that well and the freedom is what we're after that's that's where that true joy comes from that's where you get these people who don't have I love that that language of low-grade fever I've felt that in my life before yeah yeah for sure it it's a big deal and it just, it really does just hinder everything else. And if you haven't noticed that spiritually, you have certainly, I imagine, felt that physically when you have a flu or whatever. It, it leaks over into every other area of life for however long you have that. So, Well, well I wonder how many people, um, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a little bit like a, a crunchy person here. If you don't know what crunchy means, you can go look it up. I, I would um, not do that. That's a long <laughs> YouTube rabbit hole. But we eat garbage, most people just eat garbage, and we live with this low-grade, like, nauseousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if I eat McDonald's, like, French fries or something like that, they, they taste delicious for the moment. And then I, for the next at least multiple hours, just have, like, a – like, I, I don't I – don't, I don't feel terrible, but I don't quite feel great. Like, I just – I feel unsettled. Poisoned. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, so we, I think we just live like that in general. I think just people, we live that way spiritually. We live that way physically. We live that way emotionally. Like it just, it's a package deal. So it's for us, it's kind of become the norm. Yeah. And I'm saying, wake up. There's a, there's a better norm. Mm-hmm. The norm for God's people is that their tents are rejoicing. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, the norm is that we're like Tom Bombadil and we're singing in the midst of the darkness, yeah. or that we sing to to rescue uh, the hobbits when they're captured by Old Man Willow. Mm-hmm. Like he's a jolly man. Yeah. The problem is, is that when we ask the question, so if your tent is not full of singing, when we say, why is that? Why is that the case? They're gonna say everybody else's fault. Yes, that's right. I could rejoice if it were not for. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Well, let me end with this quote from Spurgeon. To serve the living God is necessary to the happiness of a living man. 
for this end we were made, and we miss the design of our making if we do not honor our maker. Quote, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If we miss that end, we ourselves are terrible losers. The service of God is the element in which alone we can fully live. And everything else would be to exchange it for the creeping thing. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you for joining us this week. I want to encourage you, as always, to go know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. We'll see you next time. See you guys.